Hi there, and welcome to today's Resi podcast. We're talking about housing associations and tackling the housing crisis with uh, Kate Henderson, who's the Chief Executive of the National Housing Federation, with Alan Strickland, who is Director of External Affairs and Resident Involvement at Optivo, and Geeta Nanda, who's the Chief Executive of Metropolitan Thames Valley. Geeta, I'll start with you. There's been some talk... Um, prior and, and subsequently to Boris Johnson's election as Prime Minister around where we go now in terms of help to buy, in terms of stamp duty changes. And, and there is a fear in the, in the property market that, that help to buy is going to be taken out, is going to be tapered off. Does that mean then that, that shared ownership is, is the only game in town for first-time buyers? What, what's your view? Where does that sit within Metropolitan Thames Valley's development pipeline? I mean, we have a, a, a big development pipeline of shared ownership, and we've been doing it since the 80s. It's a hugely resilient product. Um, it is the most affordable way that people can get onto the housing ladder, and I think that's... Even the, in London? Yeah, even in really? London. Yeah, so, um, you know, if you've got a 25% share of a property, um, then it becomes affordable for people on that sort of 30,000, 35,000 income. So, cl- um, Clapham, then, where you've got your, your very large regeneration, what does, that, what does that equate to in pricing terms? Well, if you've got a £500,000 uh, property then um, 125,000 is what you, an equity share that you can buy. Um, and all in all, you've got people who are on about 35,000 and you put that together as a couple and people can afford to buy there, um, even at lower levels as well. So it is affordable. It's the only way a lot of people can uh, live in London. And, and, and Grant, and what does that mean? So in terms of the, the cost of the taxpayer, the ask to the Treasury, what, what is the, what's the link there? How do we get from... Grant funding to shared ownership. What's what's the what's the equation? Well, it's a, a lower level of grant that's needed for shared ownership than for rented, because um, you know that that's obvious, really, in terms of of what we're producing. So you're talking about grant levels of about fifteen percent to twenty percent in London for shared ownership. Um, and, you know, you need grant levels of around 40%. We're not getting that, but around 40% for rented products. So it's, a, it's more efficient and better for the Treasury, really. And, uh, and Kate Henderson, in terms of the, the sector's position on this, you've recently launched a campaign on shared ownership, and, and you think that could actually be quite a, a good solution for, for the current government to take forward to voters. Yeah, absolutely. So we have a new administration. We have a prime minister that in his very first few days was talking about a generation of of homeowners. Um, Yet we know lots of people can't access the private market and become homeowners without some form of subsidy. Shared ownership is a brilliant way of getting people onto the housing ladder. I've been a shared owner myself in London, you know, going from having moved every six to nine months in the private rented sector to, to having my own place. I had a 25% share that I had a mortgage on and I paid 75% share back to the housing association. Our campaign is around trying to really raise awareness and the profile of shared ownership across the country. It's about explaining what shared ownership is and also what it isn't. It's about debunking some of the myths, but it's also brilliant timing for a new government who is desperate to get people onto the housing ladder and we'll be launching it. Um, we've launched the visuals, but we're going live with it in October. 
And, and what about some of the criticisms that people have had around shared ownership, the shared ownership regime? And, and we don't, I'm not going to call out any particular providers, but there have been questions, have there not, around fees, around the restrictions and how you market them, around the opaqueness of some of the terms, around service charges, and, and some of these things which aren't quite so positive. So part of the work we've been doing with our members across the country is to understand how we can ensure that we market, sell and provide services for shared owners better. So through the work we're doing, we're going to be launching a portal which really explains some of those details that provides consistency in terms of language, provides consistency in terms of information. Uh, in terms of you know everyday experience of people, that's something our members really want to do well. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we did is we launched our So Resi brand, and that was really about making sure it was really clear to the customer. We've done a whole series of videos around it. We make information really clear to people around uh, what they're getting into because it is you know leasehold is complicated. You buy a leasehold flat, you're on the ground floor, and you've got a roof and it leaks. Why do you? pay money towards it. I mean, it's very, very complex for a lot of people to understand. So we need to make sure it's really easily understood. And we need to evolve uh, as well some of that shared ownership product. And I think, you know, we're all up for that change at Metropolitan Thames Valley. We've looked at how people can buy a very small increased percentage without it costing them any more and making that decision at the start. So I think there's things that we can do to evolve the product and make it even more accessible for people. Alan Strickland, um I mean, are we not living in cloud cuckoo land if we're suggesting to voters that everyone should be able to and, and should be looking to buy their own home? No, not at all. I mean, there's, there's strong demand for home ownership, shared ownership. There's strong said- demand for... for- Porsche 911s and holidays to the Caribbean. <laughs> well, I think I think a decent home is a bit more important to people's lives than a Porsche 911, thankfully. Um, and it's you know it's critical that we try and meet that demand. Um, as has been said, shared ownership does get people onto the ladder. It's not a perfect product. The sector's working hard on that. But let's be honest, the main alternative to getting people into um, housing if they're struggling with market costs is help to buy. And we've seen to help to buy with help to buy. You know a number of problems. Um, a number of developers taking a lot of flack. A lot of government anger actually about money, public money that's being poured in. A lot of developers taking a lot of profits well exactly not delivering the quality people might want to see and i think housing associations have got a strong track record of delivering good quality well managed uh, shared ownership homes and i think increasingly people are worried more about quality they're worried more about having a good responsible ethical landlord and that's another thing that um, housing associations can offer well is it about quality or is it simply about the fact that the policy creates demand without driving supply i mean is it not it's not is it not that that the policy is just wrong. The policy is driving the wrong kind of outcome. Well, I think that there's an obvious challenge around um, help to buy. It's a demand-side policy. Um, we'd like to see more um, direct investment um, in genuinely affordable housing for rent um, and for sale. I think that's absolutely right. What does that mean? So what does, tell me what genuinely affordable means, because I think a lot of people from outside the sector will listen to this sort of discussion. They'll read policy documents that bang on about affordable housing, and they'd look at... of market rent in London, and most people say that's very far from affordable. Mm. No, and and they'd be totally right. And I think there's been a challenge, hasn't the last 10 years, of a focus on measuring affordability um, according to, you know, percentage of market cost, um, rather than the percentage of how much money somebody's actually got in their pocket uh, that they can afford to spend um, on them and their family. So I think there is a shift in government thinking. There's a shift in the sector, a commission that Geet has been involved in, to really make the case, and of course Sadiq has been doing this in London, to make the case that genuine affordability means how much can somebody spend uh, not to sort of arbitrary measure about the local market 
And, and in terms of Optivo's pipeline, you're, you're quite heavily focused on affordable, whereas many in the sector have quite a higher proportion of market product. Is, is that correct? That's right. So about 90% of our pipeline um, is affordable for rent and for sale, um, and that will be 100% in the not-too-distant future. Now, that's partly because of market risks in the system, because of the challenge of Brexit um, and other issues, and it's partly because, you know, we merged two years ago, um, so we're a fairly new organisation, and there was a clear commitment from the board that one of the reasons for merging was to free up cash to plough into building genuinely affordable housing. And Kate Henderson, that's what it comes down to, isn't it, really? We can we can talk about demand, supply, so measures, but actually what we're talking about is... is the tin being rattled and you guys needing lots of cash? Well, we have a housing crisis. You know, you walk down any street in this country and you see homeless people, but they're just the tip of the iceberg. You know, rough sleeping has has gone up. Homelessness has gone up 169% since 2010. But there are so many people just living in overcrowded accommodation, living in poor quality private rented accommodation, families living in temporary accommodation, you know, our levels of, of social house building are at a, an incredibly low level. Our research shows we need around 90,000 social rented homes each year. Last year, we built 6,000. So every day last year, for every one sorry, new social rented home built, eight families were, were made homeless last year. And that's 117 families made homeless every single day in this country. So... Rattling a tin, it isn't that, actually. It's about providing decent, safe, affordable homes for people in this country. We are an incredibly wealthy nation, but some people's housing needs simply won't be met by the market alone. And, and um, what, what needs to happen? And what, what are we talking about in terms of the, the government funding allocated to solve what they've said is a crisis? What is the step change we need to see? So we've, we've had welcome announcements over the last year or so into new funding, into social rented homes, into affordable housing. We have strategic partnerships with Homes England, which are really about accelerating delivery of affordable homes. But what we need is a long-term investment package from government. We were asking for £12.8 billion a year. It's a lot of money, but it means we could deliver 145,000 affordable homes each year, which we know we need over the next decade. But it's not a lot if we're spending two and a half billion just on doing Brexit planning. Well, and we spend 22 and a half billion a year on the housing benefit bill. A lot of the money from the housing benefit bill goes into the private rented sector. And actually, if we had people in social rents, that bill would come down massively over the long term. But it's a long term investment plan. And, we need. You, and you, but ultimately, you'll have an asset underneath that, that that, again, has an intrinsic book value to it, doesn't it? Not only does it have an intrinsic book value, you're providing homes that actually meet people's needs. So you're ensuring a family with kids actually has a home that has enough bedroom space, there's somewhere for kids to do their homework, that they can stay in that community and go to that local school, that you have stability of your address so you're able to get a job. Housing associations aren't just landlords. We do so much else. We link you up with other services. We ensure you you get access to the welfare you're entitled to. But we also support people into work. We support people with their physical health, their mental health. We enable people to live well independently longer. We adapt their homes. It isn't just a proposition of investing in grant. It's about investing in people and communities in place. And, and I think... And Geet and Andrew, I mean, well, Kate makes a good point, but, but I mean, to some degree, this is your own fault, isn't it? Because all you do is talk about building housing. Well... No, we talk about all the other things we do. There is a lot of interest in the number of homes that we can build, but we, we often do talk about the other things that we do. And I think, I think that, that point around, you know, we've grown 
because we have assets and we can borrow against those assets and we can build more homes and with shared ownership we can recycle the grant that's been put in so it's a really efficient long-term way of ensuring that any benefit that is that that is is ploughed back into providing more homes for the future so you know providing a home gives all those benefits to that person if you've got a good home you just you build your life you have that stability you know you can do things and, you know, we do talk about that all the time. A lot of people want to talk to us about the figures. We're very happy to talk about the other things that which we do. I mean, Alan Strickland, is there not an issue in terms of how these things are measured? Because we, we have a disconnect, do we not, between politician X standing on someone's doorstep saying they will solve all of the world's ills and the Treasury then sit there and go, sorry, guys, money's not there. And, yeah. and Kate... Gita make very good points. I mean, I, I don't have kids, but I mean, when your kids were growing up at home doing their homework, again, there is a, there's a there is a social and a moral and a financial value to them being able to do that. Is that's there not? right? And you, and, and and you know, when you talk to teachers, when you talk to the local schools, they have huge amounts of kids that are moving from school to school to school, coming in for short periods of time because they don't have that stability of home. How impossible is it for those kids to make friends? How impossible is it for them to really, you know, get the qualification? Get, get you know do well at school and then get the qualifications that are sort of needed so, so, so do we so Alan Strain, do, we, do we need to value this stuff differently if, if what Gita is saying is correct which I mean you probably agree let's be honest there's not gonna be a hell of a lot of disagreement here other maybe than for me uh, but I don't, I don't personally disagree at all but I think the point is that is the system that the question is is the system by which we determine value fit for purpose if we're only judging stuff on the numbers game of how much have you developed and these these slightly disconnected theories of what is affordable or not should we actually be pressing reset and thinking actually guys it's about quality of life yeah, I think that's totally right. So Hyde Housing Association earlier this year um, tried to quantify what's the actual social value um, of our properties. And, and they did some work with some, some great external people um, that came up with a figure of just under £17,000 a year. That doesn't include the sort of construction benefits and jobs benefits. Um, but that's benefits in terms of um, reduced you know, slips and falls and you know, a &E admissions, um, safer new blocks where crime is lower, um, savings to the local authority about getting people off uh, temp temporary accommodation waiting lists and um, as Kate mentioned earlier getting the benefit bill down because actually people have finally gotten a proper affordable home where the benefit money isn't being poured into the pockets of a dodgy landlord so when you add all of this up it comes to about 17 grand a year for every single property they've got so there are attempts to quantify this stuff but I think you're totally right there's also I think a more intuitive conversation needed which is you know challenge in government can be unless you can absolutely nail down that this intervention in this period of time will absolutely lead to that output which will save the government money Treasury can be quite sceptical um, of whether that's really uh, a saving. Is it really a cashable saving? Can you really say that your intervention um, is the one that made the difference? But as you said, intuitively, we know that living in a cramped, damp flat um, that's riddled with drug dealing and crime that's not properly looked after, that's managed by an appalling sort of absentee private landlord, um, that's not good for people's lives, that's not good for people's kids, that drives up cost, um, and it drives up sort of fear and misery. Um, so the more people can live in a, a settled, properly managed, affordable home, it's, you know, good for them, everybody deserves that, but it is ultimately good for the taxpayer. And government does need to be better at recognising that longer-term benefit you, you and never, thinking outside of political cycles about but you, that. But you, and that's, and that, that, there's two points there, isn't there? The political cycle is absolutely key, is that because what you're talking about in terms of creating a platform for what we're talking essentially is social infrastructure investment, 
that doesn't happen in anything less than a 10-year cycle. But political cycles, as we've seen, I mean, we're up to, God knows how many housing secretaries, ministers, 20-something now, I lose count. I'm sure you, Alan, will probably have the number up his sleeve <laughs> somewhere. But, uh, you know, so there's a degree of just absolute disconnect, Kate Henderson, between the long-term need that you're talking about and the short-term political cycle, which is get myself re-elected every few years. So do we not then just need to take politics out of it and recognise that there is a housing emergency and have some kind of cross-party approach to this that strips out any of the 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 just any of the politics wouldn't that be great yeah. i mean <laughs> that is what we need yeah. we need to you know acknowledge that um access to a home a safe secure affordable home it's as important as your access to, to education in this country is access to the healthcare system we have in this country and there should be cross-party support for it it shouldn't be something that is um banded about around every single election that we have it should be a national priority and it should be a long-term priority and we should be able to think about how we deliver the homes and manage the homes um for people who need them over the longer term i do think despite um you know the, the fluctuations and uncertainty in national politics it does also make our relationships with our local authority partners even more crucial you know we are working in partnership uh, with councils right across the country and other uh, delivery partners private sector public sector third sector to ensure people have access to support and services but also that we deliver and those relationships mm. need to withstand electoral cycles too and, and, and partnerships geet and under are an interesting avenue for you um, as an organization that recently merged you know you brought together two large and quite different um, organizations in, in Thames Valley and, and Metropolitan how are you looking to build a greater array of partnerships and, and how again when, when people I suppose in, in, in terms of property week readers who perhaps are less familiar with the affordable housing sector than, than, than other for-profit areas how what is the potential for outside partners to work with Metropolitan Thames Valley, how, how, what, what does that? What can that look like? I think we're we're very keen on joint ventures and relationships with um, other partners. Because what they, does that mean? Doing what? Well, for example, one of the things that we've done is um, with Gallifer Trine, uh, which was GLA land in Silvertown. We're building just under a thousand homes. Um, we're building a hotel for hundred and. 110 bed spaces, commercial units, and that partnership has got uh, Gallifer Trite, it's got the GLA in terms of the land release, it's got Fizzy, you know, which is a subsidiary uh, within Metropolitan Thames Valley with investment from the Abu Dhabi Investment Authority. It's got, you know, that subsidy in it, it's got affordable housing, um, and it's got market sale. And for me, that's the, that, that's a great way. It's going to be completed in 2021. It's a great way to build a 1,000 homes in a kind of key regeneration area where the partnerships come together. They bring money, they bring land, they bring different levels of expertise. Uh, and at the end of the day, you have a really good uh, mixed tenure scheme. And, that, and that's one example. Um, and, you know, so I think taking that example look at the money, look at who can deliver what, look at the skills that there are within the organisation. And, and presumably and you've, you've got need. quite a big, um, I mean, have you got quite a big land um, pipeline that, that you can access and bring forward? Is there opportunity for people to come to you with, with, with money, with ideas and with other potential? Yeah, I mean, we've got our Clapham Park, we've got, uh, you know, planning permission for two and a half thousand homes. We've got another regeneration scheme, which we're looking at, uh, and w which we've got um, planning approval for in Barnet. We've got our existing estates, we've got six and a half thousand 
at Homes, which is in the development pipeline, but we've got a lot more that we, we want to achieve. So we want partners who want to work with us who will provide quality um, and who are creative and can bring different ideas to the table about how we can make the best and greatest places in those areas. And, and, um, and, and Alan Strickland, in terms of, I, I suppose, some of the, I suppose, the evolution of the Housing Association sector, you as another organisation that, that has come out of a merger, how have these... Uh, how are these, uh, I suppose, how are these events changing the face of, of the sector? You know, you're merging presumably to drive efficiencies, presumably to, to drive a better level of service for your residents. Is that happening? Are you, uh, are you now as a sector being more outward facing? Or well, I think that's a really important challenge, actually, for housing associations. So mergers have happened, to you say, to drive efficiency. For us, it's freed up uh, money to build more affordable homes so that the combined organisation is building more homes than either of the two predecessor organisations combined. So it has made a real difference uh, to our ability to house people. Um, but, of course, there is worry about the sector that as organisations get bigger, do they become more distant? Do they become more corporate? Uh, do they lose touch with communities? Now, we're determined that that won't happen. We invest very heavily in resident involvement, resident engagement. We have staff going out all the time to help you know, build communities in new estates, uh, but also to keep testing with the residents. Well, how are we doing? What do you think? You know, have we got the right approach? Have we got the right strategy? What are you improving? What's that telling you? Well, um, we did some research a couple of years ago that showed, and a university did it for us, that showed that our resident involvement work saved us about £2.5 million a year. Um, because you had residents saying, actually, you know, you're delivering this service, we only need this, this and this. Actually, that contractor, they're not very efficient, I'd get rid of them if I were you. So actually, by tapping into residents' day-to-day experiences of what's actually happening on the ground, you can really drive efficiency while at the same time giving residents a fantastic sense of ownership over the place they live. And, and Kate Henderson, just, just to move it on, so in terms of, of the new administration, um, let's maybe try and boil down a, a few of your key asks and, and, and think about what's important to you as a sector. Um, obviously, one of the big challenges you have is uh, the, the post-Grenfell world of needing to look at safety and fundamentally really turning out your pockets in terms of what the sector has bought, built, owned, managed over the years to make sure that these things don't happen again. What what are some of them? I mean, the, the, we're not going to have time to go into all of the complications that throws up. But in terms of some of the headline things there that you, you need from government, is it clarity? Is it money? Is it a bit of both? What, what's what's the ask? So the safety of our members, tenants, and residents is the number one priority, and um, that is going to be the case forevermore. Grenfell uh, was an appalling, appalling tragedy and such a huge loss of life. And in response to that, we are, both in terms of the resident and tenant engagement, looking at how we can be more open and accountable and how we can learn and, and innovate and do that better and make sure that tenants and residents are at the heart of what we do. But on building safety, we are very supportive of the Hackett Review recommendations. We've just been actively um, involved in the consultation on the building safety regime. But in terms of what we want from government, I think we want three things. We think we want government to help coordinate we want government to help coordinate the information that's out there, and that's not just on our buildings, it's on all buildings. Private buildings, public sector buildings, schools, student accommodation, um, and we are absolutely committed to doing our part, but we need to know what materials are on buildings right across the country, and government needs to play a coordinating role, both in that, but also in the remediation. You know, As we responded, and we responded really proactively to the, to the ACM cladding, 
there was a massive scramble for things like scaffolding. There's only so much scaffolding in the country that can deal with the high-rise, and actually a prioritisation from government on that would have been helpful. We also, secondly, need government to take some ownership of what products are safe and what are not. So, uh, you know, there's information where we really need clarity. We need clarity on which fire doors are safe, and government need to own that decision. Isn't the problem, though, that... the none of these things exist in a silo and that you could certain that something may be safe if you have a load of other stuff inside the building i mean i none of us are fire experts but it, it surely follows that that you can't just simply say one or the other yeah and that's why we're talking about building safety not just fire safety we need to look at, at the i gave fire doors as as an example but we need to look at you know the, the whole building um as a whole everything from compartmentalization for example if there's a fire in one flat to make sure it doesn't spread we need to look at cladding but it's sprinklers it's gas it's access from from the fire brigade on all sides of a building there's lots of different aspects to it um but what we need is government to set out the regime, but we do need clarity from government on which products are safe for us to make sure we're making the right decisions. And they've done that in the past, and we're asking them to again in the future. And then thirdly, where buildings are going wrong, where we know there are things like ACM cladding or other materials, and these were put on in absolute good faith because they met with the previous building safety standard, that they were signed off by the local authority and they had assurance and guaranteed. We're asking for government to cover some of that cost of remediation because actually, you know, these costs are, and, and they have done that with the ACM cladding, they made 400 million available to the social housing sector for us and councils and that was massively welcome. But there are many more materials that we think are gonna come down the line and government has a role there and we're really committed to working with them. But it is really important, not just for residents of, of housing association properties, but for everybody who is in a high-rise building, for work, for home, for leisure, to be safe. We're not going to wait to make sure our buildings are safe. We're doing that now. We will get on with the work now. Um, but the role of government is one of, of coordination, of clarity, and of funding. And, and just to finish off, Geet and Andrew, if, you know, if, if, I mean, Kate essentially is describing a, a disaster recovery fund. We, we're saying this is a housing crisis. We're saying there's obviously a massive problem following the, the disaster at Grenfell. What's going to happen to the sector if this money doesn't come forth from government to deal with some of these issues? Because this is going to have to be funded out of cash yeah, by organisations such as yours. Our first priority is going to be to our existing residents to make sure they're safe. So... Anything which comes around and, and all the remediation or any work that we're going to have to do, that is our top priority. You know, we, we want to continue building, we want to continue investing in, in new homes, but um, and I think the point Kate makes is really, really important because uh, we are seeing an increase in costs in that area. So that is our top priority. Obviously, we're concerned about people who don't have homes and we want to be able to do that. And, um, you know, at the moment, we, we want to work in all areas, areas where there's the highest need, as well as areas where there's not enough affordable housing being built, but it may be cheaper. And we need to make sure that we, we have that balance across the board. And a final, very quick thought, Alan Strickland, in terms of you know, what your principal asked Boris Johnson would be in terms of supporting the sector and, and trying to make a, make a meaningful dent on some of these issues. Well, I think the key thing is that there, there is, I think, always a tension in the Conservative Party about home ownership versus affordable housing. 
And I think what, what we would say is, you know, government needs to continue investing in social rent. It's absolutely critical that people can um, continue to have a home that they can afford. Um, and that, you know, fundamentally, both on affordable homes for rent and for sale, you know, housing associations totally stand ready to help to invest, to build and to work with communities. Fantastic. Well, look, thank you so much. Alan Strickland from Optivo, Geeta Nanda from Metropolitan Thames Valley and Kay Anderson from the National Housing Federation. This has been a Resi podcast for Property Week. I'm Andrew Teacher at Blackstock Consulting. Thank you.